Gittleman here, the First Lady of Nutrition for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today I want to acknowledge our sponsor, which is Unikey Health Systems at unikeyhealth.com. Unikey is the official distributor of all my products and books. So visit them, please, at unikeyhealth.com. They also have a brand new immune booster. They have a wonderful bile builder, which I created, and the radical metabolizer that will help you lose weight like nothing before. Let's jump into the topic at hand. Today, we're gonna be talking about mercury, mercury rising, the ultimate truth of chronic disease. And today, my guest is Dr. Bill McGraw. Bill, say hello to my audience. (laughs) Hello, everybody. You say that you've got a degree in aquaculture, so why did you write a book about mercury? Oh, boy. Well, we have to go back 15 years and I'm in South Africa working on a huge aquaculture project and I'm the only research scientist there with the PhD and I'm working 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And over time I developed insomnia, which is in the form of work, of of sleeping about three or four hours and then I'd wake up and couldn't go back to sleep. So off I go to see a medical doctor and he gives me a prescription a tranquilizer, of course, and it helps for a while, and then I need a new drug. And this goes on for the next five years, and all these naturopathic doctors I see and the medical doctors just keep giving me more drugs. They hook me up to machines and give me herbal supplements and give me foot baths and all this stuff, and I keep telling them, look, you're not helping my insomnia. What's going on? And so eventually I see a medical doctor for so many times, and it gives me so many different drugs. He says, look, I, I've given you every drug I have. I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> so I got pretty dis- discouraged and I began reading medical books, everything I could get my hands on, including a number of your books I read over the years. And I've heard John Coast to Coast a couple of times for your work with uh, bitters and gallbladder and 5G. And I, I loved your work. I really do. It's really intense. Well, thank and you. you know, you're welcome. And um, over time, I figured out I had a mineral deficiency and that was magnesium and potassium. And so I started taking that and lo and behold, the anxiety I developed for for not being treated for insomnia, which I suffered from waking up at three o'clock in the morning and feel like I'm dying, that went away immediately. And over time, my insomnia got better. And so the next question I had, well, what caused these mineral deficiencies that I have? And so I had a hair test and and looked at mineral deficiencies and, and lo and behold, I discover I have mercury toxicity. And so I engaged detox, uh, various detox remedies that I had read about for so many years. And I start to get rid of all the mercury out of my body. And then I experienced these uh, symptoms of detox, you know, pain and forgetfulness and all these different problems I have. And so once that happened, I became really just about addicted to studying medicine. and, And I began healing people with Rife technology, which I've been very successful at. And I currently have a number of clients with just about every kind of uh, infirmity you can imagine. And, and I'm, I'm healing most everything I'm encountering, including, of course, of course the coronavirus. And, and it's been a, just a real success story for me of studying medicine. And I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a real kick for me. And so uh, that's how I got turned on to alternative medicine. And I've continued my research into mercury toxicity in every avenue you can imagine, 
from ingesting in the human body to detox to how it got into the atmosphere and why it's so prominent in oceans and whales and so on. And to this very day, I'm still studying and producing YouTube videos. And, and of course, I had to write a book uh, with all this knowledge. And people kept asking me, well, how does this work? How does that work? And so I wrote a book on it and 500 sources, 400 pages. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it, but it was such a, a monumental task that uh, it's, I'm saying I'm so busy right now teaching a basics of aquaculture course, and I'm still doing Rife Technology. And I have my aquaculture farm here that's all organic in, in Panama. And uh, I'm just, just a super busy researcher, working day and night still. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. So where is all the mercury coming from? You know, it's an, it's an issue that I've been very intimately involved with having so many mercury fillings in my day, had them out and had copper replaced, which was even worse than the mercury for me. Right. So my, my question is, is the mercury coming from the amalgams? Is it coming from the fish? Is it coming from the environment? Is it coming from some source that we're not even aware of? And what is the most accurate way of measuring? Because if you're not an excreter, and I'm not one of right. those people, you're not going right. to see the mercury coming out in the bodily tissues like the, the hair or even the urine for, for that matter. Right. So the question right. is, number one, where is it coming from? Just tell us where do you think it's coming from? Top three, four, five sources and the best way to test. Oh boy, what a story that is. What a question. Uh, let's go back to the period of 1849 to 1884. Uh, we have the gold rush of California. Uh, this is the second biggest uh, mercury input into the atmosphere. Uh, and this was found out from taking an ice core in Wyoming and they picked up all the mercury inputs, whether it be volcanoes and in the industry, the industrial development in the United States in the 1900s. But all of this mercury, 250,000 tons of mercury was dumped into the atmosphere. How, okay, well, I mean, let's just tell say- me, that, Tell me how that, well, I'm, I'm kind of, I lost you there. How did that okay. happen? It was the California gold rush, which is yes. exciting. How did that yes. get into, how did the mercury get into the atmosphere? Okay, so what they did was they mined mercury in California. There are 2000 mercury mines. They pulled it out of the ground and much of it is still there leaching into the environment. And they used that mercury to amalgamate the gold. You know, whether you're panning for gold or using other techniques, they apply the mercury into the pan or into a sluice gate and so on. And it picks up the gold and it combines with the gold. And over time, you collect the mercury and you burn off the mercury in a pan. It goes straight up into the atmosphere. And then what you're left with is gold. And go to town and you sell your gold and party and whatever. And this went on for about 35 years. Wow. And it was the second biggest mercury input into the atmosphere. Now today, something else is happening, which is pretty incredible and insane. There is a mercury, sorry, there's a gold rush going on all over the planet. And that's from the high price of gold. And mercury is being used now uh, more than ever, probably by a factor of about 100 compared to what happened in California. So we have places like Peru and Ecuador and Colombia and Brazil. 20% of all the Amazon rainforest is currently mercury toxic. And that's just from getting Ooh. in there and using mercury to amalgamate the gold, pull the gold out and sell it. You know, if you, you know, whatever gold is now, $2,000 an ounce or whatever. And so, you know, these guys can make money 
uh, panning for gold rather than growing crops or working in a factory or whatever. And so they're out there panning for gold. And this is going on in China, the Philippines. The Philippines is right now the biggest contributor to mercury into the atmosphere because they use so much mercury to amalgamate the gold. So right now, the biggest input into the atmosphere is from using mercury to amalgamate gold. And of course, people can't afford these machines to collect mercury gas or mercury vapor that's given off. And they can't afford expensive equipment to actually remove gold from sediments. So they're still using mercury and off it goes into the atmosphere. Well, now it's got to be oh boy, a hundred times more into the atmosphere than it ever was in the gold rush. Well, the gold rush of, of California has put more mercury into the atmosphere except for the industrial revolution. And so I know for sure that uh, mercury levels in the atmosphere are absolutely through the roof. Now combine this with the fact that we had so many, so much uh, mercury as an adjuvant in our vaccines and we had so many uh, amalgam fillings. Most of us who, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I had 10 mercury amalgam fillings for 25 years. It added to my mercury toxic burden that I had. And we can combine that with eating carnivorous fish. You eat tuna, swordfish, tilefish, shark. Uh, any of these fish contain mercury levels that are absolutely through the roof. So when you ask me, where's it coming from? It's coming from all angles. Right now, the biggest source I'd have to say for the industrial world is probably fish still it's been rising steadily since 1970 it hasn't decreased at all and then also mercury amalgam fillings you know once mercury gets into your body it stays in there just about forever unless you aggressively uh, treat it you, you aggressively detox for it so we have our mercury amalgam fillings we we combine that with our vaccines i had 12 vaccines before i went to work in south africa i had no idea they contained mercury i just uh, took for granted that what they were going to give me is going to protect me from whatever disease i was going to encounter and i got 12 of them well the, most of them probably contain mercury as an adjuvant which is supposed to stimulate the immune system and i'm not an excreter like you. I, I don't excrete mercury very well. So it just kept accumulating in my tissues. And I was eating a lot of fish, being an aquaculture guy. I was eating a lot of tuna. I really like it. And mm. I was eating a lot of other fish. And so all these uh, different sources of mercury combined to create the perfect storm in me. And I just got reached a threshold where I became overloaded with mercury and had to engage detox procedures but I had to learn all that first. All the doctors I went to, not even one said to me, hey, you know, yeah, maybe I had to look at mercury. You know, it can cause problems of insomnia and anxiety. Well, you have a look at that. Not one single doctor, not a medical doctor, not a naturopath, not any of these doctors I saw ever mentioned mercury or, or heavy metals. And I was just so flabbergasted at that. I thought to myself, you know, if this is such a prominent thing, why aren't more people engaging in this and research and doctors? Why don't they know about this? Why aren't they helping people? People. And so that's really why I wrote the book and, and I started to engage in alternative medicine. And now it's just, it's five days a week, just about, and I'm, I'm helping a lot of people and the people that have mercury, the predominant uh, detox procedures are going to be your sweat therapies, which has an incredible history and your intestinal binders, your, your activated carbon chlorellas, your clays. And of course, liposomal glutathione, which I think is really the new age natural chelator that the body actually produces. And also liposomal vitamin C will uh, increase glutathione in the body and 
And of course, as you detox, you clean out the, the GI tract, and that's where 80% of all your mercury is leaving the body. And so I engaged in that, and I helped my clients engage in that uh, to, to get rid of mercury. But there are still so many sources in the atmosphere right now. There's more mercury than ever because we're dumping more artisanal mining than ever. China is burning more coal than the entire world combined. And all this is giving off mercury in the atmosphere, and we're inhaling it. Now, one other thing. Nobody knows about this. Nobody's talking about it, but it's a doozy. Right now in Northern California, they burned 4 million acres right around San Francisco Bay. Well, San Francisco Bay is the most mercury place in the world. It's from uh, the gold rush of 1849 to 1884. Whoa, whoa. So what happens is half of that mercury was was picked up by plants and forests in the in the, in San Francisco Bay Area, and and as they're burning all that stuff off, the mercury is going right into the atmosphere, because ha about half of those 250,000 metric tons went into the atmosphere. Half of it was probably lost in streams, picked up into the environment, because trees will readily absorb it, plants readily absorb it, fish readily absorb it, and so do all other animal life. So all these things are mercury toxic, and as they die, they they give off the mercury back into the environment. It's quick absorbed because mercury attaches to sulfur on proteins. Well, we all have proteins, we all have sulfur. And as Dr. Jane Hightower would say in her book, mercury stays in your body forever because everybody has sulfur on proteins. That is why it's so hard to get rid of. It takes years to get rid of mercury out of your body, get it out of your brain. Right now, one in three elderly people are dying of Alzheimer's. Well, Alzheimer's is simply the collection of mercury because the gas from your dental mercury amalgam fillings, the mercury gas that you're inhaling from the coal burning and the forest burning goes right past the blood-brain barrier. It changes into an ionic form. It gets stuck in the brain, in particular, air, limbic areas of the brain that are associated with uh, face recognition, short-term memory. And this is resulting in all the Alzheimer's. It gets stuck in the cerebellum it causes tremors and parkinson's disease and so on and they're all on the rise steady rise since 1970 linear increase and so is mercury so it's such an incredible story from so many angles and that's really why i engaged it from so many different avenues because the whole story i had to know it became almost an obsession for me to know every single avenue of mercury and every way it gets into the body where it comes from what is the mercury sink and how do we get rid of it and unfortunately i don't have a whole lot of good news about that so let me remind everybody that I'm talking to a very passionate man today, Dr. Bill McGraw, who is the author of a book that you can get on Amazon, Mercury, the Ultimate Truth in Chronic Disease, Contamination, Toxicity, and Elimination from the Human Body. Now, speaking of everything that you just said, I want to backtrack a little bit. Sure. Many, pe many people are giving up red meat, they're giving up chicken, okay. they're giving up uh, turkey, they're giving up lamb, they're going into fish. So uh -huh. the question, the question to, to, to you is, is there any fish that is actually lower in mercury and is acceptable to be eaten on a weekly basis? Absolutely. I've developed three rules for avoiding mercury and fish. You know, I'm an aquaculture major. I've been studying mercury and fish so intensively. I've read all the research papers and the three rules are fairly simple. I don't really want to bog people down with all this information. So three simple rules. Rule number one, the smaller the fish, the less mercury. What happens is 
young fish are fast growing and they don't really accumulate a lot of mercury. However, these larger fish, the large tunas and so on are still accumulating mercury, but the mercury is not being spread out in the biomass of the fish. It stopped growing, but it's still accumulating mercury. So the mercury concentrations in the fish rise over time. So the smaller the fish you have, the less mercury. That's rule number one. Rule number two is the lower on the food chain that the fish or the seafood item feeds, the less mercury it has. So if we look at the items that are lowest in mercury, what are they? Well, they're, they're oysters and mussels and shrimp and the anchovies and so on. They feed on plankton. Plankton contains a very low amount of mercury. But if we look at tunas and swordfish, what are they doing? They're feeding high on the food chain. They're feeding on animals that are already high in mercury. So they accumulate more mercury over time and they contain between 10 and 20 times more mercury that fish compared to fish that feed lower on the food chain. So that's rule number two is just eat a fish that eats algae. Tilapia is a beautiful example. I grow tilapia here that feed on algaes and it's absolutely free of mercury. But if I was to grow a tuna that I was feeding a high fish meal content, chances are it's gonna develop more, more mercury over time. Now, rule number three is a bit of a more, more difficult one. And that is avoid fish that are grown or come from areas high in mercury. Well, where the heck is that? Well, San Francisco Bay is El Numero Uno. And I talked to people in San Francisco. I got friends there. And I said, do you know about the mercury in San Francisco Bay? They said, oh, yes, we know all about that. Nobody eats it. And if you go fishing in Northern California, you'll see signs, don't eat the fish. Don't eat the fish. It's loaded with mercury. So where's another place? The Mediterranean Sea. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the Mediterranean Sea is semi-closed, just like San Francisco Bay. And it has a lot of mercury input. Now, the mercury input in San Francisco Bay came from the gold rush of 1849, 1884. And where did it come from in the Mediterranean? Well, Mediterranean has volcanoes. It has industry. It has a whole lot of people. And it has rocks that are high in mercury. And so what happens is over time being semi-closed, it just increases in mercury. And of course, mercury in the environment gets what, what happens? Uh, elemental mercury from rain in the atmosphere goes into the sea. In the anaerobic sediments, Regular elemental mercury is changed into methyl mercury thanks to research going back into the early 1970s that figured that out. And as methyl mercury uh, gets changed, it enters bacteria and algae. Uh, it gets increased up the food chain, and then your top apex predators have these huge amounts of mercury because they're living and growing in, a, in an environment that's just high in mercury. So other places like Indian River County in Florida. Now you may think, well, that's a bit weird, but the dolphins there, the apex predators there, are very high in mercury compared to the same species of dolphins that live around the South Carolina area. And so they're trying to figure that out. And they say, well, we have a lot of estuaries. And mercury is being turned into methylmercury, and that's what's happening. But I think there's a bigger story there. But who has the time to get into it? But uh, my point being is that uh, rule number three is try to avoid uh, fish grown or come, that come from areas high in mercury. And that includes China. China is loaded with mercury. They burn more coal than the rest of the world combined. And they have more atmospheric mercury than the rest of the world for sure. And the second, number two is India. So you're gonna be very careful about food grown in Asia. Okay, you have to be very careful about what you eat if you want to avoid mercury. And those are three basic rules. Now there's, aside from that, maybe I'll call it rule number four, and that's be careful about fish that feed on the bottom because they can absorb mercury. So if you're, if you're uh, in China and you're looking at a carp and they eat a lot of carp, 70%, 80% of all the carp in the world is grown in China, it's a bottom feeder and it will contain more mercury because it will absorb it directly from the sediments. Mercury has a tendency to accumulate in areas that are higher in sulfur 
and that's going to be organic matter that accumulates in sediments and ponds and so on. So I, hopefully that, that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does, but my question to you is, you know, in the health world these days, we're all encouraged yes. to eat salmon, of course, wild-caught salmon. So yes. tell me about the mercury levels in salmon, and if so, oh. and if they're uh -huh. high in farm-raised versus wild-caught. Okay, that's that's difficult. First, before that, I preface that preface it by saying that one of the lowest mercury foods that you can eat that's the highest mineral content is beef, and that's just simply because if you have uh, you know a cow feeding out in the fields, grass just does not absorb mercury. However, grains do. Like wheat would absorb far more mercury from the environment than grass. So eating uh, beef is high in minerals and people who are mercury toxic are mineral deficient. If you know Dr. Andrew Cutler's books, uh, you know oh, all about yes. that. May he so, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, right. But his books are pretty intense. We can, that's a whole other story, I guess. But beef is low in mercury because if it's out there feeding on grass, grass is low in mercury. You are what you eat. Now, salmon, salmon is a fast-growing fish in aquaculture. They harvest it when the salmon is still growing. They're not going to keep a, a salmon around in, uh, for a long time after it stopped growing. So it's a fast-growing fish. It's harvested when it's young. And if the fish feed is low in mercury, the salmon is low in mercury. And that's a bit of a difficult question because, I mean, how are you going to figure out, you know, what feed is, is high in mercury and so on? And there are areas of aquaculture that have uh, salmon that are higher in mercury because their feeds are higher in mercury. So you are what you eat. So I'm going to say that your wild Alaskan salmon are still pretty low in mercury because uh, they're, they're fast growing and they're harvested when they're young. But a tuna, some of these large tunas that have been around for decades and they're huge, 300, 400 pounds, like what they catch here in Panama, are absolutely mercury toxic to the point that if you eat it all the time, it's going to kill you. And if you look at some of these stars, uh, Janelle Monet, classic example, she engages uh, in a pescatorian diet and she's eating fish every day, tuna and so on. And she gets sick after what? A couple of months of eating fish every day. And so she has to detox and she's a classic example. So you, you really got to stick to your three rules. And salmon is still fairly low in mercury compared to tuna, swordfish, tilefish, shark, uh, and so on. So I've got, if you go onto my YouTube channel, you'll see three rules of avoiding fish and so avoiding, avoiding mercury and fish. And, and uh, you really need to be educated. You really need to know your stuff. If you really want to totally avoid mercury, but I think salmon is still on the list of low mercury foods. So you have a company, it's an aquaculture company called Panama Fresh Organic. Is that something that my listeners can access? Okay, right now, uh, we're still in the small company phase. I've developed a, an aquaculture production system, a zero water exchange, it's biosecure, it's free of disease. Every year, a billion dollars is lost to the shrimp aquaculture industry from disease. Okay, it's totally enclosed, it's zero water exchange. All the nutrients that come out of that system are recycled. Uh, it's right now, it's totally for the domestic market. I deliver fresh, large organic shrimp directly to my customers and they love me. They love the product and we're steadily growing. 
I, I am looking for investors. I'm talking to investors in various areas of the United States, and we want to take it to the next level for export. But that's still a ways off. It takes time, uh, you know, to for the investors to do their due diligence and read my business plans and look at my research and so on. So it's going to take time. But right now, it's for the domestic market of Boquete, Panama. But we are growing every day, and we are expanding, and we get into organic tilapia, all male tilapia that grow fast and are big and produce nice fillets and all that sort of thing. So right now, it's just for the domestic market. What about people that want healthy uh, lobster and healthy crab? Mm -hmm. Is that okay. those low in mercury? Generally, I would say yes, but they're bottom feeders, so they can pick up more mercury. You should know where it comes from. Now they're getting into blockchain and they're getting into origin labels and all these fun things. Basically, I would not eat anything from Asia. And that sounds just, oh my God, that sounds terrible. But Asia just has so much heavy metals. If you look at atmospheric mercury from the EPA graphs and maps, you'll see that China and India produce about 80% of all the mercury in the atmosphere. And the rest of it's going to be the small areas where there's artisanal mercury mining. So I would just avoid uh, fish from Asia. I know people don't want to hear that because it's cheap and readily available and all over the place because it's all imported from Asia because there's 90% of all your aquaculture products come from Asia. But I got to tell you, it's going to be higher in mercury in the rest of the world because that's where all your mercury comes from and it's discharged into streams and, and it's high in the ocean. And there's research papers that talk about all the mercury going into the ocean from China. And you're going to have to be careful on that. So you, you want to look at origin labels and look at uh, fish and food that's grown in areas that's low in mercury. Okay, a classic example, Sacramento Valley. The, the soils there are high in mercury from the, from the uh, gold rush. And so the rice that they're growing there is high whoa, in mercury. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow down a little bit. You just said something very important. People are not eating gluten. They're not eating gluten-rich grains. They're going towards right. rice. And a lot Correct. of it is grown in California. Correct. So what you're saying is it may be low in gluten, but high in mercury. If it's grown in an area where there's mercury in the soil, the plants most definitely will absorb the mercury. And I looked at research. Recent research has absolutely explained this in, in totality is that the rice will not only absorb the mercury, but it will go straight into the endosperm of the carbohydrate portion of the, of the, of the rice, and you will be eating a mercury-rich product. And, you know, unfortunately, it requires education and origin labels, and people really need to to know what's going on and i've got a video on that. i've got 70 videos on mercury on my web on my on my youtube channel and one of them is about mercury and rice from the sacramento valley and unfortunately uh people don't measure mercury before they sell their stuff and you really have to be educated to avoid it very very insightful now what about tea that's coming from china <laughs> all the tea in china right yes. uh, that's that's um Geez, you know, uh, I'd have to I say mean, I know, that. I know a lot of it is very high in fluoride, and we're also seeing a lot of arsenic, and that's why I'm never right. a big believer in a lot of tea, unless it's been triple tested and so on right. and so forth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, part of what I can say is in China, and I've done a ton of research on this, I'm really knowledgeable about, about agriculture in China because my professors really talked a lot about when they visited there. And what would happen is the Chinese use a lot of what we call night soil. And that's a fun term to discuss, uh, discuss almost uh, Human domestic waste. waste, 
you got it. And so they use a lot of that. You got 1.4 billion people to feed. What are you going to use? Well, we produce a lot of excrement. And so they use a lot of that. Unfortunately, it's loaded with heavy metals. So that goes into fertilizer for your garlics, probably your tea culture, and God knows what else. And so they're growing all this stuff on this night soil is a special name for it and it's going to be full of heavy metals uh yeah that's the way it is so yeah don't eat anything from asia that's what i tell people and they probably think it's a, a bit hardcore but I've, I've read and learned too much to know better for sure so if my listeners still have mercury fillings i'm talking yes. about amalgam fillings yes i have always told them they need to see a um a biological dentist and get those fillings yep. removed based on quadrants and probably have an IV of vitamin C, maybe a little glutathione, uh -huh. maybe a little uh -huh. um, ultraviolet, so on and so forth. What uh -huh. is your recommendation in terms of removal of fillings? Is it, is it, is it a, something that you, you would advocate for most people? And if so, when? And if not, why? Okay, absolutely. You need to get rid of the mercury amalgam fillings. I've read all the books on mercury amalgam fillings. And what happens is a lot of the mercury is given off when you first get the mercury amalgam fillings. However, you know, these metals in our mouth are kind of like a battery. And they say that the nerves going from the teeth directly up to the brain transfer mercury directly into your brain. Over time, the rest of the metal components in the, in the mercury amalgam fillings are also toxic. And that gas given off from the mercury amalgam fillings is going to go straight through the blood-brain barrier into your brain, changing to an ionic form, and then it's stuck there. And it's not going to be removed in your, until you aggressively treat it with detox, and that's what therapy, intestinal binders, and some sort of liposomal glutathione or something similar, a hardcore chelator. And so, uh, unfortunately, you have the rise of Alzheimer's due to the heavy metal accumulation in people's brains. You have to get rid of your mercury amalgam fillings. They're just no good no matter how you look at it. Uh, uh, these metals are still being given off. Even it's not mercury, it's uh, tin or whatever else they're putting in there as an or amalgam. Copper. copper. It's still giving off into the blood. And copper toxicity mimics mercury toxicity. And yes. it's going to lower zinc levels. Well, yes. guess what? Guess what your big mineral deficiency is when you have mercury? It's zinc. What are they doing about coronavirus? Well, you need to take zinc. Zinc deficiency, it's caused by coronavirus. No, it's not. It's caused by mercury toxicity, and I can prove it to you. Why don't we just have a little mercury analysis and then have another talk? But that's a whole other discussion, I'm sure. So yes, absolutely, get rid of your mercury amalgam fillings. Go to a dentist who has, you know, who's going to put the dam in your mouth and is going to have the, the suction and the vacuums and the masks and the whole bit. Absolutely, it's well worth the money to get all the mercury amalgams out of your out of your out of your teeth and i'll tell you 45 percent of, of dental restorations are still mercury amalgams although they're outlawed in places like japan norway sweden and so on because they're smarter than the united states or, or they have people that really demanded it i guess but nowadays in modern industrial society you can get uh, you know the ceramic composites and the plastics and they're so much better than the mercury and that's the reason why we have all these uh these these alzheimer and parkinson's disease diseases on the rise is because of the mercury amalgam fillings going straight into the brain and, and getting stuck there. And that's, that's just a crime. So how do we test for, for this? And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh -huh. I, I shared with you that I'm not an excreter. Right. Uh, of the four detox pathways of the MTHFR variants, I have three that are blocked. Sure. So I have to be very careful with detox. I can't take drugs. I can't do a lot of things normal people could take, even medicines and so forth, if, uh -huh. if I wanted to. 
So I did a test recently, Dr. McGraw, called the Oligo scan. Are you familiar with it? No, and in Panama, we're we're still in the ice age. Uh, we don't really have any tests for mercury, whether it be blood or urine or whatever else. I got to send all my hair samples to the United States for analysis. People don't know about mercury. We're not switched on to science. We really don't know or care about it. I'm I'm an oddball here, and so the only thing I've got is a hair test, and I'm unfamiliar with the rest of it. But the hair test is adequate to determine mineral deficiency even according to the to the Andrew Cutler protocol. And also it's adequate to tell you uh, what heavy metals you have in your body. And I tell you, Anne, you people everywhere need to engage in detox because of the glyphosates and the rest of the poisons in our body. We have to get engaged sweat therapies, uh, intestinal binders and, and liposomal products such as liposomal vitamin C, liposomal glutathione. And, and this is where where the rubber hits the road. This is where you really engage detox and you get rid of all of the toxins out of your body. After all, the skin is truly the third kidney and we dump all of the toxins in our body through our skin. And if you've replaced it with filtered water containing minerals, and there's loads of mineral supplements on the market, now people are getting switched on, uh, you can replace the minerals in your body, you lose it while you're dumping mercury. And it has a history of thousands of years of use with success. And there's even a spiritual component of being renewed and reborn. And that's okay, I dig that too. But I think that everyone has to engage in these detox protocols because our environments and our food are not less toxic. They are most definitely 10 times more toxic than they were two, dec two decades ago, for sure. So this particular test that I had the pleasure of undergoing is uh -huh. a kind of it is a, a kind of a light therapy treatment. It's not really a treatment. I should say it's an assessment. Apparently, it's a machine, a device that comes out of France. It's not uh -huh. well known in this country. They shine a particular kind of light over your palm, five different points on the palm, and within five minutes, you get a readout. And it tests intracellular heavy metals. Wow. The reason I'm bringing this up is that I have done every hair test, poop test, urine test, saliva test known to man. Yes. I'm in the field. I never saw the amount of mercury that was demonstrated on this test. I am okay. still mercury toxic after all yes. these years. So yes. the point is that regardless of what these tests say, and I don't feel that a lot of them are accurate until you do, unless you do a particular kind of mercury challenge, which can be a little right. toxic for some, some people. I think it can do damage. I think everybody should engage in mercury detox. So yes. tell me what you would do dietarily in terms uh -huh. of the binders. Tell me about the best saunas that you would suggest, okay. as well as the particular protocol for vitamins and minerals. You mentioned liposomal vitamin C, liposomal yes. glutathione, uh -huh. some of the chlorellas, but give us a little more specifics. Okay. First and foremost, uh, how do you keep mercury out of your body? You, you stick to those rules, those general ideas. You're going to avoid fish that are high in mercury. That's the first thing. The next thing is you're going to try to eat foods, you know, where they came from that are low in mercury. And, you know, it's correlated with people that are in mercury rich environments, that if they stick to a good diet of fruits and vegetables, that they're going to dump more mercury. So a higher vitamin C intake equals more mercury dumping out of your body. Everyone needs to engage into in, in that sweat therapies. And everyone needs to know what they're eating and what they're putting in their body in terms of how much mercury it has. And there's some rules that I get, I've already given. And also, you know, un, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, as, as the case may be, is that beef is low in mercury generally when it's when it's when it's uh, grass fed, because grass just does not absorb the mercury, but grains do. So if something is grain fed, chances are it has more mercury. So organic vegetables grown in high mineral soils, 
What about that? You know, we don't really have a lot of minerals in our food these days. And that's from not using ashes from fires. Do people use fires for cooking? Now we have electricity. So we don't really put ashes in our gardens anymore. People don't really have so many gardens like they used to. What about all the dams all over the world? Well, we're blocking all the alluvial mineral inputs into our rivers and our alluvial soils. That's another loss of minerals. Now, enter industrial agriculture. We really don't apply minerals to our soils anymore. So we're eating food that's lower in minerals. And this is all over the research. So really organic farming. A lot of people are talking about growing your own food on, on mineral rich soils and, and so on. And so you're, you're really engaging in a proper diet that's high in minerals, low in mercury, you're avoiding the high mercury fish. You're eating foods that you know are low in mercury. Your supplement intake is going to be, well, for one, colloidal minerals or ionic minerals. They're, you know, people like one or the other, or both like I do. And you're going to be engaging in some sort of vitamin mineral powder supplement. And you're going to be promoting glutathione production in your body by taking antioxidants, upregulating, as Dr. Chris Shade talks about. I studied all his work for years years, upregulating glutathione production in the body and the GST enzyme responsible for attaching mercury to the glutathione. You're going to be having a good antioxidant intake to promote glutathione. Liposomal vitamin C goes into the blood. It repairs the arteries. It detoxes the body and you dump mercury. One other thing is selenium. Selenium can form a compound in the human body known as mercury selenide. And that's how whales survive all of the mercury input. But unfortunately, now they're dying in the droves. Uh, this number of strandings has increased 10 to 20 times over the past decade. Nobody's talking about that. But that's how whales deal with mercuries. They, they take in and they retain more selenium, forming mercury selenide, and that's how they dump it. Now, we do more along the lines of glutathione. That's our, that's our key to getting rid of our mercury in our body, is that we upregulate the glutathione production by increasing antioxidants, okay? And then also, I would suggest you take a certain amount of selenium and that could be an organic form or an other form that's maybe a chelate or amino acid chelate. Get that selenium into your body so that it can have an antioxidant effect and also can, uh, it can chelate some of the mercury. So you're looking at changing a mindset geared towards getting mercury out of your body and preventing more mercury into your body. And I always suggest to all my clients, sweat therapy's been around for thousands of years. I'll give you one quick story about sweat therapies. We're, let's go to Spain. We're at the Almaden mine, the biggest mercury mine in the world. The mercury miners come out and they're suffering from mercury toxicity. And this is tremors and this is uh, loss of short-term memory. And this is hair loss, tooth loss, pain, headaches, insomnia, and so on. And what do they say? Well, they go to the mining company and they, the mining company says, well, you need to go to the beach. And that's the euphemism they use. Go to the beach. What happens is they take these miners that are mercury toxic and they put them in a room full of heat lamps. And they walk around in this room and they sweat profusely. And then they drink weak, weak, weak beer. I know, I know it sounds crazy. But <laughs> what happens is a certain amount of alcohol consumption will cause increased mercury release through the breath. Now that's a long story, I won't get into it. And that's kind of a joke. They make a, a big joke out of it, but the truth is, 
if the Almaden mine miners, who are some of the most mercury toxic people in the world, and it's long closed down, that's why China's producing 4,000 metric tons of, of mercury a year. So you've got this company that knows all about these therapies, and the one they choose is sweat therapy. And they go to the beach, and they walk around in this room, and they sweat out all the mercury. That should give you a heads up. Sweat therapy is an outstanding way to get rid of mercury. It's cheap and effective, get rid of all the toxins in your body. And then the second, of course, would be increasing glutamine. Glutathione, after, after all, the body's natural way of getting rid of mercury is glutathione production. It's the master chelator. Amen, right? Liposomal glute vitamin C. It's all over the internet, all over the research, actually promotes the increase of glutathione in the body, as well as other antioxidants. And you'll hear these trendy antioxidants that are people are promoting DIMs and all these different herbal compounds. Fantastic. You know what I tell my clients? Look, get out there and sweat whatever way you can. Some people are golfing in the heat. So I have a client that goes into a car and puts the heat on. Fantastic, congratulations. Go to the sauna, use your infrared lamps, jump up and down on your, on your rebounder. Whatever it takes, just sweat. I don't care how it's done. Newfangled gadgets, old, old school remedies, who cares? Just sweat and get rid of toxins. That's the bottom line. Ooh, well, with our, our remaining five minutes, I just want you to discuss with my listeners, the major diseases associated with mercury toxicity, maybe the ones that we didn't suspect have a link to mercury. And this could be the, the kind of uh, treasure at the end of the rainbow for some of my listeners. What should they be looking for if they're diagnosed with such and such? Oh boy, what a, what a question. Uh, so unfortunately, we only have five minutes. Well, I've already mentioned Alzheimer's. One in three elderly people are dying of Alzheimer's. Parkinson's is on the rise. ALS and multiple sclerosis all on the rise because of mercury. Now, the unfortunate part here is that mercury has such an ungodly number of symptoms. I mean, beyond the tremors, beyond the insomnia, beyond the headaches, there could be you know acute toxic people have tooth loss and hair loss, according to uh, some of the doctors that talk about all these uh, mercury toxicity. But we're talking about autoimmune disorders. We're talking about osteoarthritis, mineral deficiencies caused by heavy metals. After all, the heavy metals take the place of the good metals and prevent the absorption, utilization, and transfer of the good metals. After all, zinc, copper, calcium, magnesium, manganese, these are all beneficial minerals that you have to have, or your body's not going to work. You're going to develop chronic fatigue. Look at chronic fatigue. It's off the charts. How does it happen? Well, we have a protein in our body called hemoglobin. It contains sulfur. The mercury attaches to the sulfur and renders the hemoglobin ineffective at transporting, transporting oxygen. Okay, so if you have a lot of fatigue, you really need to look at mercury levels. Chronic fatigue is a big one, but mercury causes problems with digestion. It causes, uh, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. It causes problems in the liver. Look, 80% of all the mercury in the human body is stored in the kidney. Well, 200,000 people every year are getting a new kidney in the United States. Is it because we're not making good kidneys? Nah, we're making great kidneys. The bottom line is that people are mercury toxic. 80% of the heavy metals are stored in the kidney. The kidney's bad. The diabolical part of this is that the the organs responsible for detox, which are the liver and the kidney, are the ones that are damaged by mer mercury and prevent them from being released from the body. So you have to go through this detox of liver and detox of kidneys and the sweat therapies. And if you have kidney problems, you really need to look at the uh, mercury toxicity in your body because 80% of the mercury is stored in the kidney, 10 to 15% in the liver. So if you have liver problems, digestion problems, and so on, you need to look at mercury toxicity. And the rest of the 10, 5, 10% 10 left 
is going straight into your brain and causing these debilitating diseases associated with neuron uh, destruction of neurons in the Lewy bodies and these malformed proteins and the lack of neurotransmitters. How many people, read the book by Hal Huggins, how many people that have mercury amalgam fillings have depression? Something like 80% of all the people experiencing depression are mercury toxic. But nobody talks about that because nobody's reading all these, all these books that I, I guess certain people are reading. But, but look, if you have depression, look, here's another fun thing. The first time that anyone discussed mercury toxicity in a person that became famous was the Mad Hatter. Let's go back to 1850. We're in Europe. It's Industrial Revolution. The, 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 the people who are working with mercury nitrate cleaning hats are hatters, and they're inhaling mercury vapor from the mercury nitrate. Where's it going? Directly past the, the blood-brain barrier into the brain. It's getting stuck there. What happens to the hatters? They develop shakes. It's called the hatter shakes. The first time anyone that I know of ever discussed someone who was crazy, they didn't use the word use the word bananas, loco, uh, loony. What did they say? Oh, he's mad as a hatter. So the first time we referred to someone who was mentally ill was by a hatter that was nuts. They were nuts. They engaged in all sorts of odd behaviors. They were walking around talking to themselves. They had the shakes. They were introverted. They were afraid. They were easily embarrassed. They were disturbed. They were mentally ill. And if you were crazy, it didn't matter what you were crazy from. Oh, he's mad as a hatter. Now, not, we don't have hatters anymore. We don't have mercury nitrate. But the point I'm making is there are so many symptoms from mercury toxicity. Why, somebody ought to write a book. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And then somebody did write a book. And let me remind my listeners that Dr. Bill McGraw has his book, Mercury, the Ultimate Truth in Chronic Disease. And you can be reached on YouTube. Give us your handle on YouTube. Uh, it's just the Mercury channel on YouTube. I also have a website called newaquatechpanama.com. And that contains all of the research that I'm currently publishing on aquaculture and mercury-free aquaculture, anti-inflammatory foods and everything associated with organic aquaculture farming, all the information regarding uh, my company and so on. It's all published on the fish site, as well as all, all other sites. I publish papers on, on uh, whale stranding, which is increasing by a factor of 20. And, and unfortunately, the only whales left on the planet are going to be those that are fast detoxifiers, because all the ones that are slow detoxifiers are going to end up getting beached and dying. It's happening at an epidemic proportion, but nobody's really talking about it. You've given us a lot to digest. I want to thank you for being my guest today on First Lady of Nutrition, Dr. Bill McGraw. Thank you for having me, and I can't wait to do it again. My pleasure. And I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in and tuning in next week for another episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Stay on the line, Dr. Bill. Bye.